was in high school and college in the 60s when the student revolution took place and the sexual revolution. It was the folk song era. That's my favorite kind of music. <laughs> where philosophical challenges were put to music. The use of, use of more vegetables and organic foods for a healthy diet was promoted. And drug abuse, drug abuse became widespread. Several, several phrases became common, such as, make love, not war. Tell it like it is. Let it all hang out. If it feels good, do it. Get real. In many ways, the quest of those revolutionary times was good in seeking out the truth about the way things are and the way they can be. In other ways, it resulted in worldly twists that have driven us further from the true God and brought our nation into decline through greatly increased sexual promiscuity, abortion, drug abuse, gambling, and debt, and other developments. Today I want to relate the more positive aspects of that revolution to our lives as scripture coincides with the same sentiment to tell it like it is, to get real. In 1 John 3.18, it says, My beloved children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. James tells us that faith without works is death. My translation, faith without works is not faith. In John 8, 31 and 32, it says, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Most of what I'm sharing today is a result of my meditations on my scripture memory work verses as I walk to and from work. And as always, I want to encourage you to do scripture memory. It puts the word of God on your heart. So, in this message, there will be a lot of verses referred to rather than following a particular passage. I expect God to speak to each one of you through one or another of these verses. Uh, I expect this because I have prayed repeatedly for each of you, just about every one of you by name. And many others have been praying as well. Last year on Sunday, the Sunday I was to preach, Garland met me in the coat room and asked me if I had a three-point sermon. I said, not exactly, and he said, you get a D minus. <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't even heard the sermon. <laughs> this year he gave me three weeks' notice that I needed three points, so I do. This has been my introduction, Garland. <laughs> my first point. <laughs> Number one, we need to get real with God because God is as great as the Bible says he is. We, need, we tend to underestimate God. J.B. Phillips said, your God is too small. Or we have an unbiblical understanding of God and reject him when he doesn't fit the, our idea of him. Or taken to the extreme, which is very common. We don't want to face up to God, so we define him as we choose and replace him with idols. In Lystra, God heals a lame man through Paul, and the, and the people thought Paul and Barnabas were Greek gods come down in the form of men. In essence, Paul says, get real. Why are you doing this? We are men of like nature with you, and bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
Creation gives a strong testimony to God's eternal power and deity, as it says in Romans 1 and in Psalm 19. So Paul points them to the Creator. In contrast, most of present-day Asia worships, worships dead idols. Tim Kesey, in his book, Dispatches from the Front, relates how in India one man was, is pouring concrete into a mold to create an idol, while another nearby pours concrete to repair a road. And they don't see the contradiction. In China, in Lanzhou, Gansu province, he headed up to a pagoda on the mountainside. The path leading us there was a series of steep switchbacks, and with temperatures at about 100 degrees by the time we reached the Buddhist temple, the air was graced with a mixture of sweat and sweet incense. There were various images of the Buddha around a central brazier of fire and incense. One of the images was of the sleeping Buddha who seemed quite indifferent to both the penitents bowing low before him in a cloud of incense and to the bird droppings on his flaking gold face. The whole sad scene was one of the utter emptiness of idolatry. In Cambodia, he ran into the same image of the Buddha. Sitting there at the feet of the sleeping Buddha, we prayed to the God who never sleeps. Psalm 96.5 says, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Jonah has a word about idolaters from the belly of the fish. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their true loyalty. Isaiah says of them, He feeds on ashes. A deluded mind has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself, or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? We in America may not worship images of gods, but listen to this summary of Romans 1.18. God's wrath and following. God's wrath is upon those who suppress the truth, and though they know God and claim to be wise, they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship the creature instead of the creator. Do we in America worship the, the creature instead of the creator? Do we have idols? You bet. Cars, houses, power, sex, drugs, a particular relationship, money, fashion, anything that takes higher priority in our lives than serving God. Let's get real. Let's get our priorities straight. That which gets created, that which is created gets our attention often all of it instead of the Creator. But oh, the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. The depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. We sang about it this morning. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given Him a gift that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Several years ago, I was in Dave Sims' paint shop writing a check for my purchase. Niles Hogren was next to me and joked, Why don't you write one of those out for my stuff, too? It's only a piece of paper. <laughs> but then I suppose the day of reckoning will come, eventually come and things will have to be settled then. It was a reminder of that day of accountability which will come for each of us. 
Romans 14:12 says, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Get real, that day is coming. We need to be prepared for it. Let, let us not be like the self-deceived people of Jeremiah's day. In, in 5, 30, and 31, Jeremiah says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets pro prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? There is a day of accountability. This brings us to our second point, darling. <laughs> First, we need to get real with God. Second, we need to get real with ourselves. Don't kid yourself. Mankind has a great propensity to be self-deceived as Jeremiah's contemporaries were. In 17.9, Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? We have a tendency to think, if our needs and many of our wants are currently provided for, everything must be right with us and God. But God doesn't evaluate things that way. Revelation 3.18, he says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. We need to get real about our spiritual state. Is it wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked? If so, Isaiah has some advice for us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he have, may have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. That goes along with what Pastor Eric was saying last week about loving God loving to forgive those who, who repent. Are you in a small group's Bible study? Last year, our small group study, John, two things stood out to me. First, you could not find any fault with Jesus' life. He was above reproach. Second, Jesus always lived in submission to the Father. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, uh, verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For, wh for whatever he does, that the Son does likewise. Chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own authority. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness to me. His voice you have never... Okay, has borne witness to me. Verse 43. I have come in my Father's name. Let's turn over to John 8. Verse 26. 26. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Verse 28. 
So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my, on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me. And verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. And verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. He spoke only what the Father spoke. He did only what, what the Father was doing. Is he not our example in this? Should not all our words and actions be from the Father? In Colossians 3.17 we are commanded, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything. Here are a couple of problems we may have with that. John 5.34 says, How can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Are you seeking glory from others? Don't kid yourself. It, it won't last. The glory that comes from God is the only lasting reward. Ezekiel 33.31 And they come to you as people come. And they sit before you as my people, and they listen to what you say, but they will not do it. For with their lips they show much love, but their heart is set on their gain. In coming to church, is your heart set on your gain? Do we come to church for networking, for social or business purposes? Don't kid yourself. There's no lasting benefit from that short-sighted goal. Come to meet God and to belong to Him. As Pastor Fred Martin of Bemidji said, being with Christians is good, but Jesus is better. <laughs> For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his, lose his own soul? I was struck by Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, in whose, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When we neglect honoring the Lord and let sin creep in, our spirits start harboring deceit, and it grows until sin is cleansed from us. In, a, in approaching God in Hebrews 10.22, we are to have our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Matthew 27, 24 and 27 through 27, Jesus tells the story of a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And a foolish man built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Why did Jesus tell that story? It was at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, three chapters in Matthew, the last story he told in the Sermon on the Mount. Why? He tells us that every man who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Every man who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand.
his point is get real. Just do it. Get her done. Don't be foolish. Be wise. It is strange that the same culture that wanted everybody to get real sought escape from reality and drugs. And our culture still does. But when your reality is based in that which is really real, in Almighty God and the resurrected Christ, you know what abundant life is and need no escape from that. Even when we suffer, he provides us, as it were, a heart flowing with living water that is his spirit. John 7, 38-39. So the abundant life is always with us inwardly in this life, even if it's not always outwardly. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. We have a lot of that in our day. <coughs> Calling someone a bad dude is considered a compliment. The word decadent has gained prominence as if it were something positive. Decadent chocolate and desserts and decadent meals on a Viking cruise are promoted as desirable. The word means degenerate, depraved, sinful, unprincipled, self-indulgent, characterized by a state of moral decline. The decadent person spends money on himself that ought to be used to help others. But that behavior cannot be enjoyed without paying a price. Shakespeare said, it is the primrose way to the everlasting bonfire. Ezekiel 16, 49-50, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. To get real, this is not the way we want it. Shun decadence. Pursue truth, justice, and mercy. Observe the second commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. And do not neglect the first and great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Lord is really there and has provided for our redemption through Jesus Christ. He deserves all our devotion. He gives us eternal life now. He gives us a hope that will not disappoint us when the end comes on the day of accountability. So first, we need to be real with God. Second, we need to be real with ourselves. And third, Garland, we need to be real with others. Let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and truth. 1 John 3.18, that's our theme verse for this message. You know 1 John 3.17, the verse right before it? I'll put them together. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. Talking about it isn't real. Doing it is. Matthew 25:35. Jesus is at judgment on his glorious throne, separating the sheep from the goats, and says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. I have been blessed to be part of the Gideon Jail Ministry, leading in Bible study and presenting the gospel every six weeks or so. We, had a for, we have had former prisoners show up in, at our, in our congregation. Many of them end up back in jail. 
you can have a ministry to them. And many of you do, by giving them friendship that won't lead them astray, helping provide some need, helping them find work, encouraging them in Christ. And much the same is true of the hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, and sick. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 exhorts us, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially, especially those who are of the household of faith. Use your gifts for others in the fellowship. Use your gifts. Hebrews 10.24 And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not, for, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as that is the habit of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Share the good news. Share the good news. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Our neighbor needs to hear the good news. It really is good news. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Luke 6.36 But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the evil and to the unthankful. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. The last several verses of Romans 12 gives a lot of instruction on how we are to behave toward others. I point out verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do we think he's lying when he says he will repay? Who are we to usurp the place of God to pass down judgment and retribution? That is his domain. Why did Christ redeem us? Titus 2.14 Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify for himself a people of his own, who are zealous for good deeds. <laughs> zealous for good deeds. We belong to Christ. Let's show it by our good deeds. Brethren, we need to get real with God, our Creator, Savior, and Lord. He deserves our loyalty and submission. We need to get real with ourselves, not deceiving ourselves, but trying always to please the Lord, speaking and acting in His name, we need to get real with others, sharing what we have with them, encouraging them to serve the Lord and do good works. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you, the living God, who created all things and will judge all men, in whom we live and move and have our being. You have redeemed us by the gift of your Son dying in our place, who rose from the dead to give us hope in the life to come. Grant us grace to live in a way that pleases you and benefits our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.